0: Thank <music> to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I'm Andrea Vernay, joined by Miss Christine Steimer. Hello. Miss Brittany Brombacher is on vacation, so it's just all about Steindria. Steindria, yes, Andrea? I like it. No, I like Steindria.
1: Steindria sounds good.
0: good. Um, how's it going? How are you doing? Good, 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 good. Excellent. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> um, I didn't expect this week in April, traditionally a very slow week, to be as busy as it is. But man, oh man, there is a lot going on this week. So we are going to do something a little bit different with the segments, which we'll get to in just a moment. I want to say a big thank you to this episode's sponsors, me, Undie, Fleur, and Calm. We're going to talk about them later. Um, of course, this is episode 101. Like Last the Dalmatians. Week. Yeah, Exactly.
1: We just gotta get some spots on us, and then we can like make a club. Be very but, cute, but not. I a used coat. to have a uh, one hundred one Dalmatians Like, do you remember the stri- the stirrup pants? Like, the, they're basically leggings, but with the stirrup around your foot. Oh yes, I, I absolutely that remember them with the matching T shirt. Because, like, that was the style. It was really cool, and you are all jealous. I wish a photo of this existed. Does it?
0: Possibly,
1: but it would take me a long time to find it.
0: Yeah, I don't blame you. I have a box of old photos in the closet here that my mom told me that she was tired of holding on to. And she's like, if you want to keep these, <laughs> she's like, you got to keep them. You. <laughs> so I have some gems in there of me in some classic 90s outfits. Nice. <laughs> but yes, the stirrup pants were one of the most popular items back in the day. So maybe we'll just have to find some on the internet. And recreate this moment.
1: (laughs) You know what? I would happily wear that (laughs) outfit again. It was very comfortable.
0: (laughs) Okay. I'll put it on my to-do list. Um, (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. Last week, we mentioned to you that Dear WGG is now open for everybody. And boy, oh, boy, did you guys come with the goods. We've got tons of questions from you for the news this week and some other things as well. So thank you to everybody who wrote in. Again, if you want the opportunity to ask us a question, preferably about something related to the news of the week, you, of course, can go to what'sgoodgames.com slash dear WGG and submit your question for the show. A little bit of housekeeping for you. Next week on April 23rd and 24th, I am going to be hosting once again for GamesBeat Summit 2019. I had such a great time doing the MC role for them last year and this year they have an even bigger lineup. In fact, so big they have two stages. A boss stage and a hero stage. So There are tons of great panels and talks that are happening and you're going to be able to watch it all live streaming. If you guys want to get all of the details, please follow me on Twitter at Andrea Renee, or you can follow at VentureBeat or at GamesBeat and I will be putting up those live streams details if you want to check out some of these fantastic talks. For example, I'm sitting down with some folks from Facebook Gaming to talk about what they're doing in the space and how they're working to make gaming platforms more inclusive and how they're going to look towards AR and VR to make those communities even bigger. Really going to be a fascinating discussion. Um, I'm talking with the CEO of Skybound Games about The Walking Dead and how they're finishing out that franchise, which I think will be great. And I'm also... um, talking with Miss Celia about unconscious bias and how it affects game development. So lots of really cool, interesting topics. So if you're interested, don't forget to follow me and I'll have all those links for you. This month, we want to give a big shout out to our Patreon producers, Lincoln Davis, Alex Rogopoulos, Ferris Ate, and Mohammed Mohammed. And... Wow, we had so many people sign up for our Patreon this week. Of course, we are doing shout-outs the week that you sign up. So welcome to our Patreon community. To Craig Swallow, Tracy Hunt, Evan Zoran, Ashley Pacini, Genevieve Wong, Shantam, Joshua Miller, Ian Sharp, Josh Rotano, Josh... Oh, John, John Lestrina, thank you Vivian Topolovic, Adam Andrews Slick50 and Nicole Barnett Thank you so much for joining our awesome community Again, patreon.com slash what's good games Where you guys can get access to exclusive Videos, streams and a whole bunch more Including an ad free version of the show um, So if you guys want to check that out Again, patreon.com slash What's good games
1: Yeah, finger guns Nailed it <laughs>
0: All right. Before we get into the news, I wanted to let you guys know, because there is a plethora of news this week, we've decided to split the news into two segments. And then the third segment, we'll get into our hands on and what we've been playing. So we're going to start with that awesome platform news we got both from Xbox and from PlayStation and then we'll get into some more stories in the second block. So let's kick it off with the first block of news and this week it's brought to you by Fleur. Even if you spritz on perfume every day, here's something you might not think about. What's actually in it? That's why we're so excited about Flora. They make stunning, non-toxic perfumes and list all of their ingredients online. You get a good scent made with clean ingredients, and the sample process is just plain fun. For luxurious perf- perfume that's all about good, clean, fun, try Flora. That's spelled P H. L-U-R Fleur First you get to know Their scents With pictures Words and even Playlists on their site And then you actually Get to try them On your own skin And see how it works For your life Fleur's world class Perfumers are scent artists And these perfumes Are their masterworks Another cool thing Every Fleur scent Is gender free But the best part Fleur is a completely Transparent fragrance company And they tell you Every ingredient In their perfumes And why it's there And the good news They just introduced Body wash and body lotion In the same sense, So you can smell amazing all the time like Steimer does literally every time I pick Steimer up from the airport when she comes up to San Francisco I'm like mmm you smell good <laughs> and I'm like
1: thanks it's my perfume <laughs> what's yeah. the name of the one that you have again I have Siano, which is S-I-A-N-O uh, and like the notes are green pepper is it ylang-ylang I don't actually know how to say that flower <laughs> uh, Osmanthus, mimosa and cognac um, which sound kind of weird but they work really well together and it works well on my body chemistry. So, like, I've this, I think I have uh, my second bottle, full size bottle that I'm going through right now uh, that I purchased myself. I knew about this company before they ever actually did an ad read for this show. And I was very excited that they wanted to put ads on our show because it's like, oh, I love them. I have the little travel guy too. So, I like have that in my purse just in case. Usually, I only use that if I've forgotten to spray it on in the morning because. The scent does last a very long time um, and that's one of the reasons why I picked this particular one because the heavier scents tend to linger a little bit more than like the lighter ones do um so like hanami I think is how you say it has is a really like beautiful light scent but it will dissipate faster than something with heavier notes in it
0: and it's great that they offer multiple options if you want something lighter or if you want something heavier. So we do encourage you to go to floor.com today to use promo code What's Good to get 20% off your first custom floor sample set. Pick three cents to try, and you get a credit towards a full-size bottle of your favorite one. That's promo code What's Good at com to get your first three floor fragrance samples at 20% off. Floor.com promo code what's good all right the big news of the week playstation 5 has been revealed so this was an exclusive article over on wired and it's called what to expect from sony's next gen playstation so to be clear they did not call it playstation 5 I am calling it PlayStation 5 because I don't know what else to call it because they did not give us a code name. Right. So I'm not going to read this entire article. If you guys would like to get all of the details, please do head out over to Wire.com. Give them the click. This is quite an impressive exclusive that they were able to get this far ahead of release. So it starts with um, as he did with the PS4, Mark Cerny acted as the lead system architect for the coming system, integrating developers' wishes and his own gaming hopes into something that's much more revolution than evolution. For the more than 90 million people who own PS4 So that's good news indeed Sony's got a brand new box The console's CPU and GPU Become more powerful, able to deliver Previously unattainable Graphical fidelity and visual effects System memory increases in size And speed, and game files grow to match Necessitating larger downloads or Higher capacity physical media like discs PlayStation's next generation console Ticks all of those boxes Starting with an AMD chip at the heart of the device The CPU is based on the third generation of AMD's Ryzen line and contains eight cores of the company's new 7NM Zen 2 microarchitecture. The GPU is a custom variant of Radeon's Navi family and will support ray tracing, a technique that models the travel of light to simulate complex interactions in 3D environments. Ray tracing is a staple of Hollywood visual effects and is beginning to worm its way into high-end processors and NVIDIA's recently announced RTX line. No game console has been able to manage it yet. So then they go into a little bit more about the chipset, which we'll skip over. Um, but what I think is really interesting, of course, is they have to talk about VR. One of the words Cerny used to describe um, the audio after he said, "You know, it's not just about visuals; it's also about audio fidelity and how they really want to take audio to to greater heights than they did for the PS4." Um, he, uh, the reporter asked if there will be a next gen PSVR to go alongside the next console, and Cerny said, "I won't go into the details of our VR strategy today, beyond saying that VR is very important to us and that the current PS." VR headset is compatible with the new console. So hopefully that's some good news to PSVR owners who are potentially worried about having to upgrade their virtual reality headset along with upgrading their console as well. That could be quite... That would be mighty expensive. Yes, indeed. Um... The next little bit here I found pretty fascinating, um, though I don't really like the adjective he used here. <laughs> um, he wrote, The larger a game gets, like last year's Red Dead Redemption 2, clocked in at a horse-choking 99 minutes, or 99 gigabytes for the PS4. What? I was like, horse-choking. Yeah, that's a weird... I don't know why you would- I- I didn't that. like that. I was like, there's a lot of adjectives in the English language you could have used. Um, so they you say don't need lo- to make one up. Is that it, even a real saying?
1: Yes. I've n- literally
0: never heard it before. <laughs> well, you can choke a horse with it.
1: I don't, I, there's a, you can choke a something with it. I don't think it's a horse though. Yeah. Also, why do you want to choke a horse? Don't choke. Horses. I don't know.
0: They're lovely creatures. They are indeed. It says loading screens can last minutes while the game pulls what it needs to from the hard drive. The same goes for fast travel when a character transports between far flung points within a game, world even opening a door can take a minute depending on what's on the other side and how much more data the game needs to load um starting in the fall of 2015 when cerny first began talking to developers about what they want from the next generation he heard it time and time again i know it's impossible but can we have an ssd a solid state drive and so this is like one of the big talking points for what's coming next for PlayStation. Cerny then fires up the PS4 Pro playing Spider-Man. Um, Spidey stands in a small plaza. Cerny presses a button on the controller, initiating a fast travel interstitial scream. When Spidey reappears in a totally different spot in Manhattan, 15 seconds has elapsed. 15 seconds. That's
1: a pretty long amount of time. For, that doesn't sound like a lot. Like so you're like, for me to demonstrate. Seconds, 15 seconds, whatever. But like I definitely notice... In games, the more frequently it pauses to load or do something, the more t- I, I am inclined to grab my phone yep. and get distracted and stop paying attention to the thing that I am playing. So, so like, I wanted... Oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead, ahead Steiner. No, no, no. So I was going to say, even even if you're like, 15 seconds, who fucking cares? Or like 15 down to one, basically. Um, To me, that's huge because it means I'll stay immersed more. Absolutely. In what's happening.
0: So I wanted to do a little exercise here where we take... A moment of silence to recognize exactly how long 15 seconds is. All right. Let's do it. Here we go. That was 15 seconds. Or maybe just just slightly shy of 15 seconds. And now what Cerny is saying is that, according to this demonstration, it goes from 15 to less than 1.8 seconds, to be exact. So that moment of silence shrunk down to less than 1 second. That is pretty impressive as far as loading goes, and it could mean a lot when it comes to open-world games in particular. We saw, really, with the latter half of this generation of consoles, open-world becoming incredibly ubiquitous felt like almost every game was an open world game, much to our chagrin because who has time to play all these open world games? I do not know. Apparently us, Steimer. I mean, we have to make the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the article continues, you know, there is a consequence to having a solid state drive. There's also the speed, Uh, with which the world can be rendered, the speed with which a character can move through the world, and on the next-gen console, the camera speeds uptown like it's mounted to a fighter jet, he says. This is, of course, the Spider-Man demo that he's referring to. Uh, The next-generation console will also support 8K graphics, but as the journalist pointed out, uh, who's got an 8K TV, right? Very, very rich people. (laughs) Um, So while it's a really neat idea... Um, 4k seems like it's much more reasonable at least at this time but they're trying to clearly future proof this for where the technology is going to be five years from today i remember thinking about 4k televisions even five years ago And how expensive they were. And it's crazy how the price of technology has dropped so dramatically. I mean, I guess it's not super surprising. We've seen that trend over the last 20 years when it comes to consumer electronics. And how they are incredibly expensive at launch. And then even just a couple years out, you know, you get a Black Friday sale. (laughs) Yep. Um, And, of course, the reporter asked about, what about some of these games that are on your first-party lineup? Are they going to be cross-platform? The one he specifically asked about was Death Stranding. Cerny did not confirm or deny if it's going to be on the next gen, merely reminding people we've announced it for PlayStation 4. So I found all this really fascinating. Of course, a ton of you wrote in with questions to dear WGG about it. So before Steimer and I get into our discussion, let's just bring you guys into it as well. Alex Sherrick writes, we've seen Xbox go all in this generation with backwards compatibility, even enhancing some of the games to 4K. Do you think it's enough for Sony or Xbox to just have games be backwards compatible? Or are you expecting games from this gen to actually look and play better on next gen systems? Of course, this new thing will be backwards compatible with games on PlayStation 4. They announced that as part of this article.
1: I mean, I I think they would naturally run better. I don't know if they would naturally look better um, because they're built with a certain spec already in mind, but theoretically, you would still get better performance out of these games. Um, And I mean, it would be nice, but again... Backwards compatibility is always one of those things that people want to have as like some sort of weird safety net, but most people do not use. Most people are not even like they're not popping in old disks. They're not downloading old games. Again, this is a generalization. There clearly are some people who use it, but when you look at the widespread, it's like it's minuscule. But again, it's also one of those features that people feel better about having it's like, oh, well, I could go do it if I wanted to. And I think that's why people tend to put it in. And that's what I, that's what she said. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's why, Good you know, plan.
1: Xbox Xbox was trying to win loyalty points. Xbox knew that that feature was not, like, going to do gangbusters for them in terms of performance um, and how the amount of people are using it. But it's, it's loyalty points. You are putting in goodwill points for your community because... They kind of tripped all over themselves at their launch, um, which was very unfortunate because I do enjoy Xbox things. But um, yeah, I think that answered the question. I would
0: love to see some data on who's actually using backwards compatibility across all of the install base for Xbox One, like what the percentage is of people who are actively using backwards compatibility because they have really supported it in a very impressive way. I personally have put one single Xbox 360 disc into my Xbox One, and that was my Mass Effect 3 disc. And that's it. That's the only disc I've ever put in my Xbox One. From my 360 days, though I still have my 360 collection. And it's interesting because Patrick Landry also wrote in about backwards compatibility, asking, you know, the PS4 backwards compatibility was mentioned. Do you think it will stop there? Do you think there is hope to get older consoles? We all know Microsoft did it. So is Sony going to do it? I think what Patrick maybe is asking here is, is there a hope (laughs) for PS3 or PS2? And I would say, don't hold your breath.
1: I don't think so on that sense because I think the architecture is much similar, more like for PS4 to PS theoretically 5, or whatever they ended up calling it. Um, I think what they had said for PS3, I could be wrong, um, was that it was mostly like they would have to rebuild a lot of the way that they had the game running. I can't remember exactly why, but like the chipset or something was something was up with the way that they had built it and it wouldn't have easily ported. So... No, it's unless we're talking about remasters and things like, you know, Resident Evil 2 remake, like things like that, that are picked like you pick out the, the key bets, the things you think people would really want and maybe just do a whole fresh coat of paint on it and release that way is much more likely than them being like, by the way, you can play all of your PS3 games.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there. I think that we sometimes forget that a lot of these games have not aged as gracefully as we remember them. Nostalgia is a a very interesting (laughs) pair of glasses. It was really fascinating and a little bit of an experiment in this for me when Kyle found the Rock Band 2 reality show that I was on. And that was in the early days of digital video. And 16 by 9 was not a standard, so it was 4 by 3. And... I mean maybe it was 420 resolution at best but when you watch old things and that was just 10 years ago you know so if you think about games from the PS2 era or or even like early PS3 generation it's going to be really difficult for them to make them look good without putting extensive resources into upressing them and unless they're going to make some kind of software that can auto-scale some of that stuff, which would be really cool. I'm not saying that it's not possible, but it sounds expensive. Um, I just don't know like what the value proposition for PlayStation would be to want to make those games backwards compatible, but I think them saying PS4 is in is absolutely the right call and will help, I think, grandfather gamers into the next generation more quickly than they potentially were going from PS3 to 4 PS4 this generation. Totally. Um all right. So Stephen Boston says, "What's good, Andrea and Steimer? With the spec announcements for the PS5, do you see a realistic chance that it will release at the three ninety nine ninety nine price point that the PS4 did? We saw how much of a one eighty Sony had in terms of launch sales between the PS3 and PS4. And while the PS4 is obviously better all around system than the PS3, I believe the lower initial price point was a huge reason why the PS4 sales started off so strongly. Will Sony continue down that path, or with the current PS5 specs, is it just?" unrealistic to expect a price point lower than
1: $500. <sighs> it's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, because a lot of the parts he's talking about are certainly not cheap. However, um, it, typically console manufacturers know they're going to make a loss on their box. Like, they're, they, every, that's kind of how every generation has gone so far, at least. They tend to make, they lose money, especially at the very beginning. Um, some of them have like had such long tail lives that they, they do go in the black, the blackest profit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know my yes, things. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> they go, they do go in the black, but uh, it's not necessarily, you know, standard. And, so things like solid-state drives are more expensive than just, like, regular-ass hard drive. Um, and the chip's probably expensive. The one thing he didn't talk about that I made a joke tweet about before I even knew that Mark's like that this article was coming out is cooling. So, currently, the PlayStation fan sounds like a motherfucking jet. <laughs> yes, it and does. And <laughs> you just... It's hard. It's distracting. Like, I'm sitting here trying to play a game and it's just like... Rrr! It's funny you mention that because Anthony says my first gen PS4 sounds
0: like a rocket and turns the heat up in my room at least two degrees. It sounds like the processing is going to be exponentially increased in the cycle. Do you think it's possible the next gen goes with a bigger box
1: for better cooling to make sure the system doesn't overheat itself? I mean, my PlayStation hasn't overheated itself. It's just real loud to prevent it overheating itself. (laughs) I hope. I hope that you know a lot of the things Sony was saying about okay, better chips for better graphical fidelity, 3D audio, like blah, blah, great. But I also don't want to hear it. Like, I don't want it to be audible. So if you can figure out liquid cooling with some fans, something like to make, which, again, will increase the cost, but would also make the user experience much better. um, I hope that they go for that. Come on, Cerny, talk to me about cooling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Liquid cooled. Um, I also
0: think that that they should make that a priority as well. It's one of the top complaints for the form factor on the hardware of the PS4 today, at least from everything that I've seen. If we're talking specifically about the hardware. I think making the box a little bit bigger is not necessarily a bad thing. Everybody suffered through that giant monstrosity that was the original Xbox One. We remember how big X- that guy was, <laughs> and even the PlayStation
1: Three. Oh yeah, PlayStation Three the was fatty. a big boy. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I I don't think size. I mean, I don't think size matters necessarily. <laughs> but what does matter is the way the parts are configured inside that box and how cooling is run through it. Um, Because you can make things pretty small now and they don't necessarily overheat, but you have to build them right and you have to put the (laughs) put everything in the right place. So they're not all like overheating in one spot. Um, So I didn't super answer the expense question. I don't know what price point they're going to come out with. It would be obviously great if they could keep parity with three ninety nine. But I think honestly, anything so long as they don't do a five hundred ninety nine US dollars, I think they'll be okay.
0: Yeah, agreed. So they tried to get a little bit more from Cerny's interview about pricing for what's coming next for PlayStation. And he didn't say much, except there was one quote, which I'm trying to pull up right now. And it says, um, so Peter Rubin, of course, is the journalist that I've been referring to from Wired, who did this exclusive reveal. And he had tweeted that Cerny said, I believe what, that we will be able to release it at an SRP suggested retail price that will be appealing to gamers in light of its advanced feature set. So that okay. to me means it's probably going to be on par with where we see the PS4 Pro or the Xbox One today. Um potentially maybe. You get a Xbox bit. One X or Xbox One. Sorry, yes, Xbox One X. That's yeah, what okay. I meant to say. Thank you very much. <laughs> um and that to me suggests 499.99 as a starting price, price, and that maybe they'll offer a version that has a smaller hard drive. Which
1: I don't know why they would at this point. Uh, yeah, everything cheaper, is but so uh, every all the file sizes have gotten much larger. I rephrased yes. the way I was going to say that sentence. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah everything's just bigger now Everything, yeah i literally um, was going to say that here's my thing like and we're going to talk about this when we get to the xbox story next but um i just don't understand how you can roll out a next generation console with something that's smaller than two terabytes for internal storage i just don't understand how that can be standard because even one terabyte standard is just not enough when games are you know at at base between 30 and 70 gigabytes and then you get updates and day one patches and dlc that can add 10 20 30 50 gigabytes on top of the base install and bam your hard drive space is done and like i know we're talking about digital streaming and where that's going, and clearly that's going to figure in probably to Xbox's plan, but we don't know yet how that's going to figure into the PlayStation plans. Cerny very cleverly did not talk about that, even though he did mention in the article that PlayStation was at the forefront of digital streaming, and I think what he means by that is he's referring, of course, to their acquisition of Gaikai several years ago. We have really yet to see that Manifest, other than what they're doing with PlayStation Now, which I wouldn't say is a flagship feature, even though clearly it's you know, successful and works for millions of people around the globe. Sony isn't
1: going around waving the digital streaming flag at the moment, yeah. And, which to me means it's doing well enough, but it's not like if, considering I don't remember the last time they've talked about PlayStation Now. Like I don't think it's yeah, it's like a that's PR. That's not beat. going to be like. A flagship thing for this next box, I would think, but you never know.
0: Well, streaming certainly will have to figure in at some point if they're looking to compete with Stadia and what's coming for Xbox Maverick. But I think that remains to be seen. But I, I think, think that
1: Sony—I mean, they—they they already have all that system in place. Sorry to cut you off. That's okay. Um, so, like for the most part, they can kind of sit and wait and see how well Stadia does. Like they don't need to do a whole lot. They don't need to build anything right now. Um, they can just be like, cool, we're going to keep an eye on this Stadia thing, see if anyone actually uses it, and then make plans from there, versus being like, oh, shit, we need it. All, you know, everybody... PlayStation Now is the thing. We need to add everything to PlayStation Now and blah-de-blah. Blah. Like, I don't, th- I don't see them doing that.
0: No, the, that's a really good call. I agree with you. I think that's... They're in a position where... They are at the top of the food chain right now. they sold 90 million plus consoles so yep. they can they can wait and then they can pivot and react versus trying to lead the charge whereas Google has never been in this space before in this way. so they have to really put themselves out there and quite frankly they can afford to fail if they fall on their face. but hopefully for all of us they don't um, all right. Let's move on. Do we, not, we don't want to do this one? Tyler's question? Yeah, we can yeah. talk to t- So it's Tyler McCall. Hey, Tyler, what's up? Um, Asked, do you think that Sony will change the DualShock controller substantially for the PS5? Or maybe they'll provide more options like paddles on the back since Xbox has the Elite controller and Design Lab.
1: I mean, they I have hope. to upgrade it a little, right? <laughs> yeah, they have to change something about it because every console generation has changed something lightly, at least. Um, I hope that it's a little better in terms of quality on certain parts. Like some of it's fine. I obviously still for me personally, cause I played more three sixty than I ever did my PlayStation back in the day. I still find it easier to hold the Xbox controller than I do to, f- to hold the PlayStation controller. But I also just dislike that. They're like nubbins. <laughs> it's like, I don't like the weird nubbins. The I want, joysticks. Yeah. I want like, I want like, Something a little more tactile, something that feels a little better. That's what I hope for.
0: I agree that I think the Dual Shock for while a incredible improvement from the Dual Shock Three, still not as good as the Xbox One controller or the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty controller for that matter. I like that Microsoft went the extra mile to offer something like the Elite controller, and it's a really nice piece of hardware. And right now, Sony doesn't really have an answer for that. Yes, they worked um, with Nike on something. Yes, Astro has the C40, which I'm going to be talking about in the third segment of the show. But those are like third-party options. I know that they had something specifically in Japan that was PlayStation branded, but they don't have something worldwide available for DualShock 4 Elite or Pro or what have you. Yeah, And so I think that it, they would do well to make something a little bit more robust and for the love of God, make the battery life better. You can do it, PlayStation. That. Take the light bar out if you have to. While I think it's cool and obviously I understand that it has a VR functionality, I never use the light bar. I rarely see it and it drains the power of my battery. Even if I put it on dim, I can't turn it off all the way. I just... the
1: yeah, battery I think that life was a miss. Be that was a miss to make it an always-on feature. Even again, if you dim it, it's still on. Uh, yeah. So, and not only that, the annoying part is like, if this if it's in a dark scene, you see the fucking reflection of the stupid controller in your TV and you're like, yes, cool. What's up? What's up, PlayStation fuel cool Shock? How's it going? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> this was cool, but maybe next time. Mm, maybe I'll next take... time, make it optional. Have a toggle in the thing that turns it off. Exactly. Because like, like, you can still have it in there. Because it does have applications that it needs it for, again VR, um, and they're clearly t- going to continue supporting VR with PSVR, which is great. Go on with your bad self, but just fucking give me a battery life, please,
0: dude. Uh, it so has thanks, to bye. be at
1: least ten
0: hours, like at minimum.
1: Preferably, how much else longer, but... am I going to sit on my couch like a slug all See? Sunday? Exactly. I don't, you know, my I have one of the long cords, but it's just not the same.
0: No, but it's annoying because then you have to unplug it and plug it back in and then the Roomba always grabs
1: it and it pulls it out. And well, then... I don't have a Roomba, but yes, I understand. Uh, <laughs> I man. understand your plights. <laughs> Thank
0: you. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to Microsoft. So we, it was rumored... That they were going to unveil a digital only Xbox, and now those rumors are coming to fruition. Microsoft has formally unveiled the discless Xbox One S All Digital Edition, and it's coming out very soon in May. So, this write up is from Eurogamer. Microsoft's long rumored discless Xbox One has finally been made official. It's called the Xbox One S All Digital Edition and launches on May 7th. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, they made an Xbox One Sad Edition.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: Why? Why did nobody in marketing realize that they were making a sad edition? I don't know. It's
1: like the X-Bone. They used to get mad if you called it an x It's their fault. They did but this you to did themselves. It. You did this to yourself. <laughs> x Sad so, of
0: course, this diskless Xbox One was first mooted last year by reliable tech website Thrott, which reports suggesting it would have a sub $200 USD price point and release sometime this spring. And it looks like they got it mostly right with Microsoft today confirming, of course, earlier this week that the uh, sad edition will cost two forty nine ninety nine or 199 uh 99 pound sterling. So the digital only Xbox One S, which is identical to the regular Xbox One S, minus the optical drive, will be bundled with three games, Minecraft, Forza Horizon 3, and Sea of Thieves.
1: Isn't... Aren't they (laughs) just in Games Pass anyway? Yes! Yes! (laughs) Also, (laughs) how do you bundle... Do they just come with, like, cards that have the codes on them? Yeah,
0: or it comes pre-installed... That is like the most disappointing pack-in game offer quite possibly I, I've i ever seen with a console. Like, really, Microsoft? That's supposed to be a bonus when those are all part of Game Pass? Okay, let me continue here. Pre-orders are open um, with select retailers, and of course, purchasers can take advantage of its three-month trial of Xbox Game Pass for just $1.00. When you pre-order, one dollar a month or one dollar total for the just one dollar for the three-month trial. Oh, ah, okay. So that's pretty good. Um, Digital Foundry's Richard Ledbetter gave his own thoughts on a possible Xbox One, which you guys can check out over on Digital Foundry's site. Um, And he said, It may not appeal much to the core gamer. I see it as a perfect companion for Microsoft's value-laden digital-based Game Pass service. In short, just like Game Pass, it's a new offering designed to address a totally different, potential wider audience. Steimer, you want to read this
1: next story and then we can talk about all this? Yeah, I do. Great. (laughs) Okay, so... In more Microsoft news, Microsoft confirms Xbox uh, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. New subscription tier coming in 2019. This is from Polygon. So Microsoft officially announced a new tier of Xbox Game Pass on Tuesday. It's called Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. I'm going to say it like that because it deserves to be said (laughs) like that. Please do. And will include Xbox Live Gold as part of the monthly subscription. The company confirmed previous reports about Xbox Game Pass Ultimate which will cost fourteen ninety nine a month. <laughs> Xbox Game Pass Ultimate's pricing scheme <laughs> would be a savings for monthly Xbox Live Gold subscribers. Gold subscriptions cost $9.99 on a month-to-month basis, but the official price point will match what it costs to subscribe to Game Pass monthly and get Xbox Live Gold annually, which is around $180 USD uh, total per year. Xbox owners can often get deals on annual and three-month subscriptions to gold, Making ultimate more of a savings if you're going month to month or prefer prefer a bit of convenience. Um, I think this is just smart in the sense that, by all means, bundle the things and make me not have to have manage two separate subscriptions. Um, because anybody who has an Xbox typically like Xbox Live Gold sell through is massive.
0: Yes. It is because so many games are connected online in 2019. And so the Xbox Live Premium subscription makes sense for, I would say, the majority of people who are playing, especially since they have the added value of games with gold, of course, which is a nice touch. And the bundle here is something that we talked about and predicted was going to happen. And I'm glad that Microsoft finally made it a reality i think that this is a great idea to just make them the same thing i was hoping that they were gonna provide a bundle discount if you get both even if it was just like a dollar or if you buy the yearly but it looks like it's exactly the same price if you have
1: them separately because
0: it's adding
1: yeah the only thing is if you were it's a savings if you were doing month to month gold which i don't know anybody that does but Right, if you were one of those people for some reason, then yes, <laughs> it is helpful to you, um but I find I think interesting, and I wonder if they will also combine as like you were saying, there's games with gold, and then there's game Pass, and that's a little weird at yes. this point, especially if it's one uh service now with basically or they're trying to combine them into one service, getting people over to that higher subscription model um it's I wonder if they're gonna call it like game Pass ultimate. Or something, or like whatever, and just be like, this is just includes some of the older games, like Games with Gold, but instead of calling it Games with Gold, now we just, it's all one thing.
0: Yeah, that is a really good point that you bring up. I hadn't really considered that, the why would they bother continuing with Games with Gold when they have Game Pass, but I guess there's plenty of people out there who aren't subscribing, and so they have to continue offering both.
1: Yes, they do right now, but I do wonder if down the line, like if they do gen, start to maybe? see... Yeah, or whenever they can get a feel for whether or not everyone who is you know... because Ideally, what they're trying to do is convert a bunch of Xbox Live gold people to say, hey, why not just spend an extra few dollars and, and get these all first-party games for free? Not free. You're still paying for them. But paying for them in a way where it feels like they're free. Um, as opposed to like handing over nearly a 100 bucks whenever they come out. Um So I think if they do see an uptick on that, maybe they would combine them. But for right now, they couldn't because, right, like you said, Games of Gold was an answer to PS4 and what they were doing with Plus. Um And so you can't remove that yet or add it to the Game Pass because then that reduces the value of Xbox Live Gold. But again, down the line, I could see them possibly combining and making just one massive thing just because it would make sense to me. And it's a little confusing as a consumer. If you are more, you are a more casual consumer. It's confusing. Cause you're like, wait, what games do I get with this? What games do I get with this? Why are there two different ways to get games? I don't understand. I'm a, a mom or a whatever. And like, <laughs> I don't get it, but
0: yeah, you're not wrong. Xbox hasn't always been the best at clearly communicating What they're offering is. I remember E3, I believe two years ago, when they had the, I don't want to call it a fiasco or a conundrum, but it was. A kerfuffle. A, little, a kerfuffle. A little bit of a boondoggle maybe about the world
1: premiere, world exclusive premiere, world that was, platform premiere. I still you guys stand by that, that is intentionally confusing. <laughs> that is a marketing tactic to intentionally confuse so you're not entirely sure what's totally exclusive and what's not. Because people will aso- misassociate exclusives sometimes with the wrong platform. Like there are people out there who think God of War is an Xbox exclusive. I don't know where you find them, but they exist. They've taken surveys. I've seen them. Um, So it's just like real weird shit. Um, So, yes, that was confusing, but I do think that one was intentional, whereas I think this one is a confusing that doesn't necessarily serve them.
0: Right. Well, maybe when they unveil Xbox Maverick at E3 this year, we'll see them revamp the nomenclature for this or the terminology and maybe streamline it a little bit so that it's less confusing for consumers. But I think this is ultimately a good thing. I think there's a lot of people who want both of these services and are happy to have them bundled together instead of paying for them separately. And I think this is... Indicative of where we can expect Microsoft to go with their streaming or their cloud service offerings that they have been talking about and are clearly going to be, you know, standing toe to toe with what Google Stadia is offering. Maverick but, versus Stadia. Exactly. Well, let's talk for a second, though. I know we kind of jumped straight to the software news. Let's talk about this Xbox One SAD edition. This, this weird, Did-
1: sad strangely strangely timed. Did you watch the trailer that they put out for this? They made a sad trailer? No, I didn't see it.
0: So it was actually really funny. They did a pretty good job of making it humorous. Essentially, it was showed a bunch of people working on the Xbox campus talking about the digital edition. And there was a big joke where one of the girls on the team was like, you guys, I've got it. What if we just Delete the hard drive. And she like pulls the sticker off of the Xbox One S and that shows where the hard drive would go. She just Wait, pulls it off. And it's not exactly the hard s- drive, because the hard drive you definitely need. Oh, not the hard drive, the disc drive. Okay, I was my like, apologies. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to be confusing. The disc the disc drive. Yes, yes. So like okay. the little line where you would put the disc into the Xbox One S. She just like takes it off and is like, look at it, isn't it perfect? And they're all like, but it's the same it's like but it's different and so they i like how they poke fun at themselves on this because they understand that yeah it's the same form factor even though it's digital like what's the point in my mind i'm almost like why don't you just leave the disk drive in i don't understand why it's not fundamentally different but they in the trailer they go into a little bit how they're like well there's all these guts that make the video games work and so we need to leave all those guts in so we can't really make it smaller and we can add some more processing to help with digital streaming. If you guys want to dig into the tech specifics, of course, I urge you to go to xbox.com and look at them. I just thought it was cheeky that it looks exactly like the Xbox One S, but it's an all digital edition. And that price, I'm really shocked that they are going
1: with a price at 249.99. I'm confused because I just looked and there's an Xbox One S 1 tele- terabyte Battlefield bundle for 199 at Walmart. Now that might just be a weird deal Walmart's having. But yeah, okay, so it's two, yeah, $250 for the 1 terabyte Fortnite bundle and Best Buy, Amazon 225 Xbox One S 1 terabyte bundle. It's a strange price cuz like why why am I paying basically the same For a box that has one option removed. And I don't know why... Like, again, I don't use my disk drive on either of my consoles for the most part. But that doesn't mean I necessarily care to see that option completely removed for the offering of $0 in savings. If there was a savings to it, maybe I could, like, get down with it. But...
0: I just don't understand how you take the disc drive out and don't increase
1: the internal storage. It's, yeah, it's still only one, one terabyte. terabyte. Yeah, <laughs> that, that part was super weird to me too because I'm like, okay, so this is literally most of the Xbox One S bundles you can get out there. It's the same thing. It's one terabyte and um, it's an S. It's not an X. And you are paying the same price, but you can't have ever have the option of going and getting a disc. And you can't put a a Blu-ray in there. And that was one of
0: the big... Yeah, you
1: can't want no more movies for you unless you're all digital.
0: Well, and that was one of the big selling points for media enthusiasts was the 4K Blu-ray player that Xbox kept in their box and PlayStation removed. And it was one of those things
1: that... I think the bundle even came with Planet Earth. Yes, it did. Like the press bundle. Yeah, The
0: Xbox bundle did. Yeah, the Xbox One X. Yeah, I just... It's just so weird to me that they are making this move. And now I understand, and they even, their PR people even came out and said, like, you know, retailers are going to offer their own deals. I'm like, yeah, that's the biggest cop-out ever, though, to be like, oh, well, we'll let Target or Best Buy or GameStop or whoever decide how they want to put it on sale. But if you're coming to market with a $249.99 and you're literally offering less in hardware, Unless there's something in the GPU that's substantially better, and please let us know if I'm if I'm just missing that because I haven't seen that in any of the
1: press materials that I've looked at here. Um, I just don't I just don't know who this is for. I think here's the only reason, and I think that they missed the mark again with the price. But I I could see them maybe using this as like a testing the waters sort of a thing for next gen to see who is interested. Is there a market for this? At this point, they've fucking lost this generation, right? Like, they already know. It's like, YOLO, do whatever you want. Let's experiment. Let's try all these different bundles. We'll see what sticks. We're throwing spaghetti at the wall here, basically. That's... This is a spaghetti console to me. Spaghetti console. It is a... Does this work? (laughs) Question mark? Don't know. Why not try it with the Xbox One versus trying it with whatever next gen is? Yeah. You know, like, because... They may be make, trying to see whether or not they should be making any sort of bets or pivots for their next box. Yeah, i with a with you. Case.
0: I absolutely think that they are posturing right now and trying to decide what's the... What's, what does the audience, what does the consumer base want? But I remember when they announced Xbox One X and there was even back then people being like, why are we getting this new thing in the middle of the generation? And I would say to them, like, why are we getting this new thing at the end of the generation? But this to me, you this know? is
1: legitimately the sad, right? Like it's, it's not <laughs> like a new, exciting end of the generation. It's like a, yeah. <laughs> like a, like a, like Here's like a one other option maybe if you want it. I don't know. Do you like cake here? I don't know. Like yeah. it's just it's a strange it's move. a head scratcher. It's a head scratcher. <laughs> and again, I think it is literally just an experiment.
0: Yeah, I I what I really
1: wanted from
0: this from Microsoft was them to come forward with their digital only. They didn't even necessarily need to make it that much smaller, but I would have liked them to see them do Maybe something a little different with the form factor. But more importantly, they easily could have won people over if they had reduced the price. If they had made this
1: Mm $149.99,
0: digital only, no disk drive, included the pack-ins, included three months of Xbox Game Pass, just include it. Don't make people pay a dollar for it. Just include it. You could do it. Um, I think that gets people into the ecosystem and gets them ready for what Maverick is or what's coming next for the Xbox Life Cycle. They need you to pay a
1: dollar because they need your credit card on file so they can continue charging you later. Yep. Yeah,
0: I put my credit card on file for many things <laughs> that have free trials, and then the, in the that's fine true. print it says, I'm going to charge true. you as soon as the trial But I don't know, anytime I move, over. they make me pay a dollar for what I, <laughs> I think they have have it as a dollar so they can sell it as a card inside Best Buy, GameStop, what have you. Mm. I don't know if that's true or not, um, but... It's just, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> cool. I guess this is for somebody. Maybe that person, Baby. I just don't understand who they are and what, why they want this versus just buying a regular Xbox One S, which is virtually identical,
1: but then you can put discs inside if you want to. I, I can't wait for someone to be confused and buy this and then <laughs> return it because they're yeah. going to realize when they get home that they can't put any. Because like some yeah. stores don't really help you and people don't read. And this looks online and don't know. Exactly. This looks exactly the same as the others. The disk drives at this point are so, like, they're not super prominent on either of the consoles. They're fairly hidden. So it's not unreasonable to assume that it just, oh, maybe it's under whatever. I don't know where exactly it is because it's not super visible, but I'm sure it's there because, of course, it's there. Bought it. And then, oops, I don't have a drive. I can't play my movie. Like, rage, flip, table. And I think this maybe they're maybe putting this out because of how much backlash. Remember, remember, remember the good old days. These were not the good old days. But when Xbox first came out, the Xbox One, and everyone pitched a fucking fit because they were trying to kind of go like, it's digital, it's all digital, and like whatever, your box will always be on, and it will. Do your laundry, not really. Uh and <laughs> it's always listening to you. It's always listening Xbox, to you. Xbox, turn off. Yeah, exactly. Xbox and and everyone fucking hated it. And they were like, whoa, what is this garbage? So this might be like a is this okay now? Sort of a thing. Are you guys gonna get mad about this? Yes, no? We'll see. If you're gonna get mad, we'd rather you get mad about this shitty sad edition than you get mad about something else later. That matters a little bit more to us as a company. Yeah.
0: I don't don't understand But I do understand That this first segment has been as long As I thought it was going to be And we're only three stories in So stick with us everybody We're going to take a short break When we come back We're going to be talking about Star Wars Jedi Fallen Orders Details that were revealed at Star Wars Celebration We're going to talk about The Division 2 raid being delayed And so much more We'll be right back Good, everybody. Welcome to segment two of the What's Good Games podcast. Normally, this is where I would say, this is what we talk about, what we've been playing. But no, we're delaying that to the third segment because there has been so much news this week that we are doing two segments full of news, and it's going to be awesome. Before we get to that, I've got to tell you, this segment is brought to you by me undies you probably spend about 90 percent of your life in underwear so don't you think you owe it to yourself to make sure you're wearing the softest undies in town that's why we love wearing me undies they use the coveted micromodal fabric which is a full three times softer than cotton these undies are so soft they feel like your butt is being caressed by clouds i wrote that part myself you guys such a good <laughs> such a good visual <laughs> Not only will you feel like your loins are being hugged by joy itself, but Undies gives you multiple style options for both men and women. And you guys, they just released a new OMG brunch print and it's got bacon on it. You guys, bacon makes everything better. If you want to check out this print, you got to go to MeUndies.com slash WGG. And guys out there, listen up because men can now try the new boxer brief with fly which is the same great cut as the boxer brief but now an added option for guys who prefer to go through the gate versus over the fence
1: (laughs) oh my god
0: (laughs) me undies is also the go-to for the softest lounge around the planet hang out in their super comfy lounge pants and onesies yes me undies makes onesies and they're incredible you guys i live in my strawberry print onesie it is so soft i need to order one yes you do they have a a mixtape onesie as well. It's got all these little cute little cassettes on it. And that brunch print comes in a onesie. Just saying. Uh, Me undies has a great offer, of course, for our What's Good listeners. For first-time purchasers, when you order any Me Undies, you get 15% off and free shipping. Get 15% off a pair of the most comfortable undies you will ever put on, along with free shipping and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. All you've got to do, go to MeUndies.com slash WGG. That's MeUndies.com slash WGG. All right. Time to talk about Star Wars. So last week, we had a little bit of a preview of what to expect from EA and Respawn, but Star Wars Celebration happened, and OMG, before we get to the news about Jedi Fallen Order, I loved Episode Nine's trailer. Have you watched
1: it? Yes. What did you think? I I think it looks good. I'm excited to watch it. I don't... I mean, (laughs) like, I like Star Wars, but I'm not someone who's like who's super up on lore, who knows anything. I'm excited to see where this story ends because I'm a little confused at where it's going right now. Yeah. Um, But I do personally really enjoy Ray. I love the actress. And I, oh my God, her clothes. Daisy? Oh, yeah. Her clothes are epic all the time. I want to wear all of them.
0: I love the panel that, was hosted by Stephen Colbert. I did not expect him to come out on stage at Star Wars Celebration, but I was so glad that he was there, of course, with um, with Catherine and JJ and so many members of the cast. And I'm super excited. Also, that video that's been circulating Twitter of the most adorable man reacting, live reacting to the trailer. So sweet. I hate that he's getting trolled by some people. I just love his passion, and it's adorable. And... I got the feels when I watched this trailer. I watched it probably four times in a row because <laughs> I was like, it's so good. But that one moment where Leia is hugging Ray, and I was just like, oh, my God, no, Carrie. I so know. Sad. That was
1: boring. I mean, obviously, that's more sad in terms of real life things than the, yeah. than the movie itself. But
0: yeah, yeah, very exciting. So we will... Definitely be talking about lots of Star Wars in the months to come in the lead up to Episode 9 and, of course, Jedi Fallen Order. They had a panel on Saturday and over on IGN we've got a long write-up here that says we've got details on the date, the trailer, the gameplay. So let's go ahead and dive in. So we know that now Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order has a release date of November 15th, 2019. It's going to be released on Xbox One, PS4, and PC via EA Origin. Um, As Respawn, the studio behind Titanfall and Apex Legends and EA announced in the hours leading up to the panel, it is a single-player game with no multiplayer elements or microtransactions. So I'm going to pause for a second here on IGN Story to talk about how they tweeted very deliberately ahead of the reveal that there was going to be no loot boxes, no microtransactions, and that this was a single-player game.
1: Do you think that they're trying to drive home something? <laughs> yeah. They're like, please don't flame us. Oh, dear God. Like, because I... Obviously, their last Star Wars... <laughs> I was like... I was going to say kerfuffle, but I feel like it was worse than a kerfuffle. That was uh, a full-blown nightmare situation for them. Yeah. That was real bad. So, um... I can see them being like, look, we really just need to say this before anyone even sees the game. Because regardless of what you show them, they're going to be like, yeah, but where's the multi? Because like traditionally, you would think this game would have some sort of a multiplayer. Right. Um, So I'm glad they set those. Of course you would. Of course, right? Like, so it's good that they set those expectations beforehand. So just allow the game to have its own room without those types of speculation, rumors, whatever, circling around it. And you can just be like, no, it doesn't have these things. And then just let it be. (laughs) Be interested in it for what it is. And don't worry about judging it for what it's not. Or like assuming that it is something that it's not. Yes. I think it was smart, basically, is what I'm trying to say.
0: No, I'm with you. I did see how Jim Sterling tweeted, are you looking for applause or praise? I'm paraphrasing here. Him essentially kind of poking at EA for coming out and making this announcement. And I don't, I didn't see it that way at all. I don't think EA is looking for praise for taking microtransactions out of the game. I think they're desperately trying to retain as many players as possible by saying, please don't, be upset with us. We know we fucked up. We're trying to make it right. And so know that we aren't putting loot boxes or microtransactions. This is a single player game. Yes, we still do make them. We know how to make them. Um, I did find it interesting, some of the hot takes on Twitter about... BioWare, a studio known for making single-player RPGs, made a multiplayer game with microtransactions. And Respawn, a studio known for making multiplayer-focused games, is making a single-player RPG. I was like, yeah, that's, that's a thing. Is it an RPG? That's what they said. Yeah, well. so let's get into some details. Um, Jedi, Fallen Order story falls on the timeline of Star Wars canon shortly after Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. EA has previously revealed the story will focus on young Padawans, but Respawn confirmed today that character Kal Kettis, Kestis, who will be it's played... Cal or Cal Cal, probably. I'm probably saying this all wrong. Please forgive me, and I appreciate your understanding. Who will be played by Shameless and Gotham's Cameron Monahan? He's everything we would learned about the game... Here's everything we learned about the game from Star Wars Celebration. Okay. So, Cal has survived Order 66, the Emperor's decree to eliminate the Jedi. According to EA and Respawn, players must pick up the pieces of Cal's shattered past to complete his training and master the art of the iconic lightsaber, all while staying one step ahead of the Empire and its deadly Inquisitors. Jedi Fallen Order will feature new locations in the Star Wars universe, including um, Braca, where Cal's story begins. Respawn has confirmed that Jedi Fallen Order will also feature iconic Star Wars locations, in addition to familiar gears, weapons, and enemies. He's hiding out there but forced to go on the run after his force powers are exposed. A story trailer viewable, of course, over on YouTube, showed off a bit of Cal's journey, his efforts to keep a low profile, and what happens when his powers are discovered. Uh, This is a very nice CG trailer. Looks good. Uh, The rest of Fallen Order's official story description, per the official press release, reads, Along the way, Cal will make new friends, like his mysterious companion, Sarah. Seer? sir It's a press release. I don't know. Um, I, yeah, as well I as run know. into some familiar faces, all while being accompanied by his faithful droid BD-1. Cal's flight from the Empire is made even more dangerous as he is being pursued by the Second Sister, one of the Empire's elite Inquisitors who seeks to hunt Cal down and extinguish this surviving Jedi. Assisting the Second Sister are the terrifying Purge Troopers, special Imperial forces trained to seek out Jedi and aid the Inquisitors in their... Inquisitors, yes, in their dastardly work. Oh my Every god! What I a say that. I think Harry Potter. Twirl. I right?
1: think of like mm, Yes, yeah,
0: dastardly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, players will use their Jedi training to create different melee combinations with an innovative lightsaber combat system and force abilities, and a little bit more of the game. I thought there was more of the gameplay. No, I, I guess that's it. Yeah, it's available for pre-order. There's a deluxe edition available. You can check out all those details, of course, on Respawn or EA's website. And again, November 15th is the release date. We've got several people who wrote in about this as well. Brandon I don't see anything
1: about maybe I'm looking at the wrong story. I see nothing about RPG in here. Okay, maybe I didn't pull that. I'm looking around I'm clicking around the internet to see
0: if I can find it. While you do that, Brandon Kagan. Writes in and says, With the last weekend being such a boon for Star Wars fans and Jedi Fallen Order's trailer being received, from what I've seen, fairly well, do you believe the project will make or break the potential for more single-player, story-focused Star Wars from EA, or is this going to be an outlier? Thanks, as always, for taking my question. Um, one final time, it was an absolute treat to be able to meet you ladies at PAXies and have a wonderful rest of your day. Oh, Brandon, it was lovely to meet you, too. We'll always take your questions. Um, so... I hope that this isn't an outlier, but I also would be open to somebody else taking a crack at Star Wars. I think EA has had their time. They have shown that they kind of flubbed it. And not to say that they're not capable of recovering and making some really fantastic Star Wars games because they have a lot of money and Star Wars games require gigantic budgets in order to make them on par with what we all anticipate gamers' expectations being. But that being said, they have clearly shown that they want to focus on multiplayer, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to say, hey, we just want to make multiplayer-focused games. A lot of people love playing multiplayer games. So maybe then they pass the baton to somebody else who wants to make something that's completely a single-player narrative-driven experience that doesn't require you to log in.
1: I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, um, I don't know if it'll be like the straw that breaks the camel's back for anything. Um, I think Star Wars fans in general will go buy this game because they they took a lot of shit from the last game and still bought it and still played it. Um, so clearly, they are like Star Wars fans are very hungry for content. Um, so I don't anticipate it this doing badly, and I think at this point. EA is trying to just save face and probably trying to keep the license um, again I do think the um, last god damn it I want to say battlefield and that's not what it's fucking called eh, what's the Star Wars one it's the other battle battlefront battlefront I was like is that I, what hate you're thinking that they, I hate that they have battlefield and battlefront <laughs> it confuses my brain Um. anyways like I think that one financially did very well but Obviously, they took a massive thrust hit with it. Um, So I think at the very least, what they're trying to do with this is earn some of that trust back and prove that they can deliver on something that Star Wars fans really want. Um, And we'll see. I don't really... I mean, it's hard for me to say because I still don't even quite understand how this game is going to play. What they released trailer-wise is all CG, so who knows? Um, And... I imagine in my head, I'm imagining like so many tropes. So, like, especially when it's like, oh, you must piece together your broken past, and you're like, fucking hell, all right. Um, So, what I do in most video games where I've got something fucked up in my past and I slowly reveal what it is, cool, standard form. Uh, And then, like, oh, you're being hunted, like, cool. So, they'll be like, in my head, again, some like stealthier parts. And then someone's going to find me out. and I'm going to have to pew, pew, pew and beat them up (laughs) and probably kill them and then run away to the next thing. Get escaped by the skin of my teeth. Go on so forth. That's how I anticipate this game going.
0: Yeah, I think that sounds like a really good summary of how I also anticipate this game going, (laughs) so I'm not going to attempt to to do my own. I will just go with yours. Um, I did find a a couple of other tidbits. Of course, they had a panel at Star Wars Celebrations, and something I should have mentioned, of course, Stig Rasmussen, who has a long history working in uh, a narrative. Um, Stuff is on board and working with Respawn for the story of this, and he had said that... I'm trying to see if this was on the panel. He would said that while the game will have thoughtful combat, as it was described, it will require players to identify weaknesses and opponents and figure out what tools that you have in your skill set to best take them down. And it will not be as unforgiving as a From Software title. Uh, Players have have to be able to just pick it up, um, Asmussen says. And, of course, there was another interview he did with Press Start. And he directly cited Nintendo's Metroid Prime in Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, as inspirations, saying, quote, If you look at a game like Zelda Wind Waker, you get different abilities. Each enemy is crafted in a certain way, or even Metroid or something like that. The enemies are crafted in a certain way that once you upgrade, you can think about how you're going to approach them differently. And maybe they aren't as big of a challenge as they were at one point. That, to me, smacks of RPG. Mm, Yeah, no, that's fair. But you are Um, correct in saying that I have not – I've yet to find someone specifically from the respawn team saying this is an RPG.
1: Yeah, I think people were just – It's going to be an X game, an action game probably is what I'm assuming they'll call it action game with light RPG elements at least.
0: Exactly. It's going to be a hybrid like action, narrative, RPG, third-person shooter, what have you. I mean third-person brawler because it's not a shooter because lightsabers. (laughs) Because – well, they do have guns. They do. But they I would guess pew, that it's pew, not. Pew, pew, I pew. think from everything we've heard so far, though, it's indicative that it will not focus on shooting mechanics. It will focus yeah. on hand-to-hand combat. Well, because
1: it would be weird if you were in a giant firefight. Firefight? I don't know. A giant yes. gunfight uh, with a Jedi. Because that's not really why you would want to play as a Jedi. Correct. You want to have the sword. You want to like rain down lightning on some bitches. <laughs>
0: lightning fingers speaking of which palpatine oh my gosh that reveal amazing the fact that he came on stage at um or went on stage at star wars celebration in between them showing both of the trailers and then said roll it again in his like palpatine voice so good all right so we have Well, I guess we kind of already answered the question from James talking about strong single player story from Bioware um, and Star Wars. Um, So I guess we'll probably just
1: skip that story, James. Thank you. I mean, I wish. I really do wish, and I I know it hasn't happened and it won't happen, and but it would be really nice if. Hello, EA. You have the Star Wars license, and you have Bioware, and they made KOTOR. So, like, maybe think about it. Bring it back. Bring it back. Like have the Austin, uh, the Austin Studio is going to be taking over uh, Anthem, from my understanding. So maybe, maybe after Dragon Age, maybe while Dragon Age is being built, you can have some concepting going on for a little Kotor action. Mm-hmm. If only I were actually a Jedi and I could like Jedi mind trick these people into doing it. If only. Keep our fingers crossed that someday Steimer becomes full
0: Jedi. All One right. Day. You want to take this next story? <sighs>
1: yes. The saddest story I will find. The saddest take. story. It's actually like, it has a happy ending, though. I mean, not really. but Sort of. Uh, <laughs> the happier ending would be if Notre Dame was never on fire. But That's true. So, uh, yeah. So this story, obviously, if you maybe weren't paying attention to the news or anything that was happening this week, uh, the uh, cathedral Notre Dame and Paris. I still don't even know if they know how it started, but um, a really devastating fire hit the hit the church, and it like the spire fell. Like it it was just massive. Um, so, story is related to that. Assassin's Creed Unity is free for PC, and Ubisoft is donating in honor of Notre Dame. This is via IGN. So, following Monday's devastating fire that destroyed large portions of the Notre Dame de Paris, Ubisoft has decided to donate. 500,000 euros to help with its restoration and reconstruction and is even offering Assassin's Creed unity for free on PC via Uplay in honor of the famed cathedral. Ubisoft announced this news on its official website writing as quote, as the smoke clears on the events that unfolded on Monday at the Notre Dame de Paris, we stand in solidarity with our fellow Parisians and everyone around the world moved by the devastation. The fire caused Notre Dame is a, is an integral part of Paris, a city in which we are deeply connected Seeing the monument in peril like this affected us all. For fans of the franchise who have not yet played the Paris-based Unity, the game can be downloaded for free over the next seven days. Once downloaded, players can keep the game in their library for free indefinitely. Ubisoft famously collected massive amounts of data on on Notre Dame while making Unity, and it was reportedly modeled down to the brick. Per The Verge, this took artist Caroline... I don't know how to say your last name, but I'm sure it's French... I honestly don't remember, and I Mia interviewed C? her. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Two years to finish. Because of this highly detailed data Ubisoft has on the cathedral, many believe the French developer can help in its restoration process. According to a tweet from the Ubisoft official Ubisoft account, however, the company is, quote, not currently involved in the reconstruction, but we'd, of course, be more than happy to lend our expertise in any way we can. Um, so, yeah, obviously, th- it was crazy. Wh- I was like, what the hell is happening? How did this... I don't know what's going on. I don't know how this thing got caught on fire. They were doing
0: renovations on the spires specifically. And I have to imagine this was some kind of an uh, electrical thing that that occurred. Because a lot of that cathedral is very old stone. So this cathedral is over 800 years old, which is a little wild to think about sometimes. And... It was really devastating watching the fires as they were burning. And I vividly remember being part of the press tour that went to Paris, and I interviewed Caroline. And I got to go to Notre Dame with that team very much like I had the opportunity to visit Washington, D.C. with the team from Massive to see their inspiration. And I did an interview with Caroline about her work on Notre Dame and how she worked with the team. But it was her sole responsibility to like, painstakingly recreate Notre Dame in unity. And I went to go look for that video and it's gone because oh, no. Defy Media deleted it from the internet uh, when that company shut down. And I tweeted about that earlier, and it made me really sad, and I'm still very sad that literally thousands of my videos and my work has gone, including this. But... um much like the, the roof of Notre Dame. But thankfully, there's a lot of people that are committed to rebuilding. They have, I believe at this point, hundreds of millions of dollars that are being donated from multiple sources around the world to help the reconstruction effort. And thankfully, nobody lost their lives in this. And there were there was a firefighter, I believe, who was injured. But they were able to save as much as they could. But I really just wanted to put the story in there because I think this is a fantastic thing that Ubisoft is doing for their home country, right? Like where the company started in France and donating 500,000 euros is not a small sum of money. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, obviously it's, it's, and I'm not even, I am not religious in any way, shape or form, but Notre Dame is it's kind of beyond that to me. Like it's just more of a, a city, symbol than it is necessarily a uh, symbol of Catholicism for me and I believe in the, the, the uh, France owns like the church or maybe Paris owns it I don't remember but it's not held by the Catholic Church anymore as far as my understanding um, but anyways it was just crazy to watch it to watch those videos and just be like holy shit you feel so helpless in a way like you can't yeah. you're just watching this all of this history just go up in flames Um that was really sad. It was. Anyways. But they will rebuild it and make it stronger. They will. But it's like, it's not going to be the same. Like, you can't, like, they have techniques from stained glass and things like that where a a lot lot of those crafts aren't, I mean, obviously people do still make stained glass, but not in the same way that they used to.
0: No, absolutely. It's never gonna be the same. Like there was a lot of stories talking about the forests and the specific type of wood that was used to build the ceiling, to build the arches and to build the spire and I mean you can't ever replace that, but hopefully they can rebuild it and bring it back to its glory even if the the type of materials are going to be different. So yes. now the fire will go down as part of its history and in oh. another eight a hundred years from now,
1: hopefully it won't be flooded yes hope. <laughs> oh, I mean we're all going down someday the sun will explode everything will be dust okay that got dark really quickly <laughs> 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 Would you like to read the next
0: story? <laughs> uh, Devin has an Assassin's Creed related question that I wanted to throw in here. Oh, okay. Uh, he, he, I just, it's not about the reconstruction process or Unity, but um, he read Taste Time" and Andrew. Assassin's Creed Odyssey just revealed a new trailer for their next story-based DLC, Atlantis, which, by the way, if you guys haven't checked out this trailer and you're into Odyssey, It looks awesome. It got me thinking about single-player-focused DLC and how Ubisoft is really delivering on consistent content updates. Do you think Assassin's Creed's strategy for post-launch content is a good way to keep players invested in the game after the main story, or is it not enough? Thanks for reading my question, and have a great show. Um, Thank you for writing in, Devin. I think that Ubisoft is doing an excellent job of putting out post-launch content for an already massive single-player narrative-focused game. The idea that they're putting out continual content I think is awesome and absolutely brings people back. I still have not yet rolled credits on that game because I keep getting pulled away to play other things. And so seeing the Atlantis DLC and knowing about all the stuff in the season pass from last year – I have a lot of work to do to catch up, but they spent so much time building this world. Why not utilize it? Why not keep putting out content until the next Assassin's Creed? Because we already know there's not going to be one this year. They've said that. So we have to imagine the the next release in the franchise will be happening in 2020. Maybe it'll be a launch title for the new consoles.
1: Um, And we'll see. Yeah. I think it's interesting that I wish... um, I mean, they wouldn't because... I don't know how great it would look, but the one thing that always makes me, like I guess, a little bit sad is like any content like this is not going to be experienced by the majority of the players who purchased Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Like that's just it's just how usually it is. Um, but you always have to hope that it at least covers the development costs for it and like incentivizes Ubisoft to continue making content like this because um, I'm with you, Andrea. Like I didn't actually get to roll credits on that game. I really enjoyed it when I was playing And I haven't watched this trailer, but again, I really, really liked Odyssey, so I'm sure I would like more of it. Um, But it's just, it's hard for us always moving on to the next thing.
0: Yes. Indeed. Speaking of which, moving on to the next story, which is also a Ubisoft-focused story. The Division 2's first raid pushed back to May. This write-up comes from Variety. Developer Massive Entertainment is delaying Tom Clancy's of The Division Two's title update three, which includes the online shooter's first eight-player raid, which was originally slated to drop April twenty-fifth. Now it'll come some just sometime in May twenty nineteen. And hey, that's quotes, a good Aaron. month. Uh, it is. It's a very busy month. It's my birthday uh, month. Hey, happy birthday, Tuesday. Stimer. Not yet. Got a couple weeks to go. The development team is using the extra time to fine-tune the game balance and ensure the best possible player experience for everyone. Operation Dark Hours will be your biggest challenge to date, they said, and we want to make sure that we've properly tested the large amount of balance changes that are coming to both PvE and PvP and listen to your feedback about the changes before introducing the raid. Exactly when Title Update 3 arrives will be based on results from further testing and balancing Massive has said. The team gave more information about a new public test server, which is now live um, as of Wednesday this week. That, of course, is for PC players only and it plans to structure uh, the test server in phases with each one lasting a few days and focusing on a specific part of the game. Anyone who owns a copy of the Division 2 on PC can access the private test server via the Uplay launcher and while they'll get to try out some features and changes coming with the title update 3 Operation Dark Hours Raid will not be part of the test server. So don't think you're getting a jump on anyone
1: PC players. You're not. I love how boring (laughs) title update 3 is. (laughs) <laughs> I like, know, right? what a what a lame name and I know why they're doing it because like obviously you do patch, like, patch 3.5 or 3, whatever right. so like it's not unusual in that sense but the fact that they just called it a title update 3 is funny to me Yeah, I don't know why it's a stupid thing to be amused by but
0: here we are yeah we're going to talk also, a little bit more about the di- oh sorry what was that No, no, no. You I was going to say we're going to talk more about the division in the hands on segment because Simon and I got to play together um, over last weekend so we'll just kind of put a pin in that for now, but just for... I wanted to read planning. the next two
1: stories. That's what I was going to say.
0: Oh, no. Yeah.
1: I was about to punt to you, so take it away. Hell yeah. Give me both of the good stories now that I had to read the sad <laughs> one. Um, <laughs> Netflix's TV adaptation for The Witcher is releasing this fall. So this is via Game Informer. It has been confirmed that the upcoming live-action series adaptation of The Witcher is coming later this year on Netflix. It will hit during Netflix's Q4 period which runs from October to December. This gives us a better idea, but we still do not have an exact date of when it'll hit the streaming platform. According to Variety, Netflix CCO Ted Sardanos says that the show is currently being shot in Hungary. The Witcher, sh- uh, sh- the Witcher show stars Henry Cavill as Geralt, Freya Allen of War of the Worlds as Siri and Anya Chalorota, something like that, the ABC murders as Yennefer. So we don't have a lot of information, but it's coming soon, TM. I did not
0: anticipate this releasing this year, quite honestly. I thought for sure that this was a 2020
1: thing. So this is kind of exciting. They can turn it around fast if they want to over there at Netflix. I felt like um, the new season of Sabrina came out real fast for me. You
0: no, know, no. I think a show like Sabrina has the ability to potentially have a much shorter production cycle, but I think the witcher, I think they've got to be doing some special effects and some fancy, they do that. Fantasy in Sabrina. things, right? Well,
1: Granted, they don't have, they have a lot of like, uh, it's more of like costuming and like demony things versus, sure. Versus like after effects kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I could see that for sure. But I mean, we also don't super know much about it and like what types of supernatural monsters they'll even include. They may only do like one or two to get across the point of what he is and why, why he has the weird eyes and why he's the way he is. Um, And then they may just stick to like more political stories because that is a lot of what The Witcher is versus it being just about fighting monsters.
0: It was interesting looking at all of these fantasy series that are moving in to take the place of Game of Thrones because that's quite frankly, going to be a giant gaping hole when that series ends (laughs) in Amazon. (laughs) Oh, God, Andrew, why? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that was not that bad. Um, Uh, Amazon, of course, is working on their Lord of the Rings series, but that's not happening until 2021. So we have this from Netflix, and I think that this has potential to be really good. I hope that they don't shy away from the fantasy elements too much, but I also don't mind that they're focusing more on the relationships. I was watching some of the cast interviews for the game of Thrones leading up to the premiere of season eight and They said, I think the reason why this show worked when talking to the showrunners was that this is like 80% relationships and 20% fantasy, whereas previously a lot of shows tried to do it reverse, where it was mostly fantasy and a little bit about the relationships. And I think you really narrow your audience that way. So I think maybe The Witcher is hopefully looking at the success of a show like Game of Thrones that was built on those relationships between the characters and not on the magic and really just throwing a bunch of magic in here at the end and they'll be successful. I think we're all rooting for this to be good,
1: right? Yes. (laughs) I mean, we all desperately want this to be good. So please, oh, please, oh, please. Please, please, please. Fingers crossed. All right. Next up, Stimer. Persona 5's Joker coming to Super Smash Bros. Ultimate on April 17th via Polygon. So, of course, as we all knew, because this was announced back in December, um, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate will add Joker from Persona 5 on April 17th as part of the game's first Challenger pack, Nintendo revealed in a new YouTube video. The same day, Nintendo will release version 3.0 update for the game, bringing with it the previously revealed stage builder mode and other new features. In a new 15-minute video outlining this week's update, Nintendo detailed Joker's Super Smash Bros. Ultimate moveset. He'll use a gun, a grappling hook, and the curse-type skill... I actually don't know how to pronounce it. I'm going to say yeah. I always just read this shit on the screen. They never say it <laughs> <laughs> to, to attack both. Joker can also employ his rebel's guard defense to deflect damage and fill his rebellion gauge. When that gauge is full, Joker can summon his persona. arsene. I also don't have to say this because, again, it's always just text on screen. Uh, although, actually, he may say that one out loud at some points. That's fine. Uh, to aid him in combat. With his persona in play, Joker's abilities will be boosted, giving him new and more powerful moves. Joker's final smash, named All Out Attack, which is, you know, from the game, uh, will summon his fellow Phantom Thieves for a coordinated beatdown. And fittingly, his taunt brings Morgana into battle. In addition to Joker, Ultimate's first challenger pack, which is five ninety US dollars, will inc- uh, include the Persona-themed stage, mementos, and 11 music tracks. The music in Persona is so good. Including arrangements from Persona 3, Persona 4, and Persona 5. The Memento stage will change its color scheme based on the Persona game the music comes from. That's fucking dope. Super sweet. Anyways, uh, version 3. Sorry, I'm like giving weird asides. <laughs> That's no, weird it's good. Uh, version 3.0 of Super Smash Bros. Ultimate will also include some free content. There's the aforementioned stage builder, which will let players freely draw stage platforms using the Switch's touch screen in handheld mode. A new video editor where players can splice together replay videos and share them online. And compatibility with Smash World, part of the Nintendo Switch online app where players can check out recommended custom stages and videos outside of the game. In Smash World, players can queue up download downloads of custom stages, then play them on Switch. Joker will be available to purchase individually, but he'll also come as part of the Super Smash Bros. Ultimate Fighter Pass. This will include five different bundles, each including a fighter, stage, and music. And the entire pass will run you about $24.99 US dollars. And like the... Uh, if you win, like, it has a special um, scene that I saw on Twitter. And I was like, yes, it's basically if you win, whenever, well, of course, you usually win all your battles in Persona if you don't totally suck. Uh, and it's like, that was a terrible rendition of it. But, like, there's this specific music and he, like, walks off and has the same style as that. And Morgana's like, yeah, you did great. And you're like, yeah, I did. I did so good. Thank you, Morgana. Thank you for not telling me to go to bed. Um, So, Again, I don't play Smash. I have no interest in Smash. But this feels really well done to me. And, like, it feels like, yes, this is Persona. If I am a Persona fan, this is going to... um, Make you play Smash? I want to try it, to be quite honest with you. I really do want to try it. I'm never going to be like, I am now the Smash ultimate best player in the world. Never. Um, But I want to just try it and see what it's like. And then we'll probably never touch it again. But it... (laughs) makes me happy to know that they definitely did this with love and care and like wanted to make it as cool as possible and also again the music the music tracks are fucking dope persona has fantastic music and i love the idea that the memento stage will change colors based on which game it's from i just think that's really really cool
0: nice well yes. cool i'm glad that people are excited again i love that people love things i have nothing against this People go out this weekend, you play Joker, you summon your phantom thieves, and you have a great time.
1: I just like, I was like, I actually don't know how to pronounce most of these things. <laughs> I never know how to, I never have to pronounce them. Well, most of it's n- never ever said in the game, right? It's just always I think text. he says his persona's name, uh, if you keep that persona. I actually never do. Um, I usually swap the persona out at some point, because like at some point they get a little bit weaker um then other ones you can fuse together um but i do believe he says that i just forgot i just don't remember okay how he says that
0: i'm sure somebody out there is listening in their car shouting the name oh like, i'm sure this you is how you and say I've,
1: it's timer I, i'm sorry i can't hear you <laughs>
0: i wish well, that i could write us into what'sgoodgames.com good slash dear with a phonetic pronunciation and we will correct it on next week's show um of course that is out now so if you're listening to this episode you and you're like oh my gosh i completely forgot that, that was being released you can open up your switch and download and, and play it tonight So that is going to wrap up our impressively long news segment for the weekend. There was still some stuff that we just didn't have room to fit in here. So that's what she said. Um, We are going to take our last break of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we've been playing. Stick with us. We'll see you in a minute. good everybody welcome to the final segment of the what's good games podcast this is where we talk about what we've been playing and this week it's brought to you by calm with stress and anxiety many people can often feel exhausted during the day but then it's time to go to bed and they just can't fall asleep if worry is affecting your days and nights it's probably also affecting your overall health. That's why we're partnering with Calm, the number one app to help you reduce your anxiety and stress and help you sleep better. More than 40 million people around the world have downloaded it. If you head to calm.com slash what's good, you'll get 25% off a calm premium subscription, which includes guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day. There are also sleep stories, which are bedtime stories for adults designed to help you relax. Head to the magical lavender fields of southern France with Stephen Fry or explore the moonlit jungles of Africa with Leona Lewis. They even have soothing music and more. Right now, What's Good Games listeners get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash what's good. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash what's good. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash what's good. All right, now that my calm voice is done, I do actually want to talk about this app. So
1: oh I was used, like, I'm about to fall
0: asleep because <laughs> you use such a <laughs> soothing voice. Steimer and I both use this app, and the, one of the my favorite things about this app is that the first thing that happens when you open it. So I'm going to open it on my phone. Um, first off, it, it says take a deep breath, but oh, it's so relaxing. Hello, birds. It's just like the sound of water, birds. Sometimes I just open the app and just like leave it open so I can hear this like wonderful ambient sound while I'm doing my email. And it's like so soothing. Um, But what I really love about it is all of the music and sound effect options because as somebody who suffers with tinnitus, it's very difficult for me to fall asleep because I have this constant loud ringing in my ear. And so I have to use a white noise machine or some other kind of sound machine. And it wasn't until I downloaded Calm that I – remember that as a kid i also used to listen to a lot of these more ambient sounds ambient music with tones and things like that in them and i've just been going down a rabbit hole listening to all of the
1: music i just love it yeah i i'm a big i love falling asleep to like white noise of some kind i have like sleep sounds here i have like a machine that does it but obviously if you're on the go i'm not like taking that thing with me right. so, <laughs> so it's nice to have an option on your phone as well
0: yeah, and they have all kinds of meditation um, things that you can use if you've never done meditation before for or if you are practiced. They have a, a bunch of different things you can follow along with. The sleep stories I thought were really fascinating. Um, and, of course, like I said, my favorite part is the, uh, the music. So if you guys are interested, again, calm.com slash what's good. Speaking of being sleepy, talking about in my soothing voice and being dreamy, let's talk about dreams and how I've been playing in dreams. So this is where I have to say thank you to PlayStation for providing me with a code so that I could check out the early access of Media Molecule's dreams. And it has such a wild game. I know that we saw it. Didn't we see it
1: together at Judges Week last year? Yeah, we saw it. Somewhere, either E3 or I don't know, some event that I don't remember which one it was, but yeah, <laughs> they've shown it quite you. a
0: few times over the last
1: several years, that's for sure. <laughs> there was definitely one at a PSX at, at one year, whenever yes, they had one. I yeah. definitely
0: remember that. So, dreams for people who are unfamiliar is a platform made of course by Media, Mo- Media Molecule, the folks behind Little Big Planet and other projects and it essentially is a game maker. At first I thought that I could maybe call it like a a narrative adventure game, but we haven't gotten to see what the campaign for Dreams is, but at its foundation this is a platform. This is the place for creators to bring their ideas and to really explore what it means to make interactive art. And it was so, so fascinating being able to just kind of browse, to go dream surfing is what they call it. So I have some notes here. Obviously, they're in early access. I think I said that already. But just so you guys know, if you are interested in checking dreams out, I would – Highly recommend only spending the money to join Early Access at this point if you are very interested in creating your very own dreams. Because right now, as a player, it's a little bit disjointed of an experience, and you really have to do a lot of digging to find things to play. Um, at least things to play that are more than a few minutes long. So the first thing I did was, you know, they take you through this little tutorial. I love the voiceover actress they got to do the tutorial and the the dialogue and the way they talk to you and they pick out your little imp, your little on-screen cursor, the cute little fuzzy thing, and you start dream surfing. So I went to the Media Molecule Collection first because I was like, listen, before I jump into some user-generated content – why don't I see what the studio
1: made? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, they clearly know the tools best. So yes. they're theoretically at this point, their content would be the best content out there. Obviously, I think once people have their hands on time with the tools, the user generated content can definitely get there and maybe even and surpass them. But yeah, for right now. I would say that's a safe bet to go to the devs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the first few things that I checked out were things that we had seen before. So the please hug me, which you might remember. Oh my God, the
1: saddest. Oh my God, (laughs) that... It's so weird because it really literally just shapes, but there's something about it that really evokes an emotion in me where I just felt yeah. incredibly sad for this. Well, they were like little cones, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you you play as one and then you run around with your arms outstretched. You, so they're little cones and then you're a little fuzzy guy. You're like, somebody please hug me. And as you approach them, they all back away and they all like back off the edge of this platform. You're on like a floating island until you're
1: just there by yourself. Because they all then, like, jumped off the edge. They all jumped off the edge. So like all these people do not want to hug you. <laughs> and then at the end, the only way I'm pretty sure to make it move on to the next thing is for you to jump off yourself.
0: Or did yeah, you not so, have to? So in this version, I did not. I tried oh. to jump off, but it just kind of like did like a slow fade oh, to Oh, really?
1: Okay. Yeah. So when I played it like or saw someone play it like a while ago, it was more of like. Number one that you weren't fuzzy at that point. I think maybe they they altered it. It was just a bunch of cones. You were a red cone, and like the others were all white. The
0: others were and, a bunch of cones. Yeah,
1: yeah, and like so you would go to the other ones. They would all jump off the cliff, and at the end it was just like, well, what do I do now? Except join them. Yeah, <laughs> and, like you jumped off too. And you're like.
0: Oh, my God. That's so sad. <laughs> it is. Very poignant and yeah. emotional. For sure. Um, so another thing I played was Hammer Panic. I had played this. This is a two-player game where you play a little hammer and you just essentially use your face to, like, hammer stuff into the ground. And the goal is to, like, hammer more things and hit more objects. So it was a cute little um, PvP game. And then I played this thing called Ferovium, which is maybe me, reminded me of the side-scrolling space shooters of, of your From like the '90s and like PC era, essentially uh, piloting a little ship, just going across the screen, pew pew pew, shooting stuff, and then. But the cool thing is that you can turn around and go back the other direction, um, and you have to kind of go up and down the level, avoiding contact. So that was pretty cute. Um, After that, I went over and checked out Dreamiverse Dash, which is a race course, which I thought was pretty interesting. So there's like some obstacles. And then there's Treasure Hunt, which was one of my favorite ones from the Media Molecule Collection, which felt a lot like a Mario 64 level where you're running around, like uncovering these coins that you have to pick up. But so, like, these were all, these all took me a couple of minutes at most for me to play through these things. So, very short experiences. And,. I was like, okay, this is interesting, but I'm, I'm looking for more. So I went down the rabbit hole a little bit farther, and I went over to some of the user-generated content, and I found this game called Curiosity that was the one of the community jam winners. And it was interesting. You play as a robot, and you kind of go through this world that's just very barren and has some rocks, and you just walk across it, and you arrive at this destination, and then there's like this philosophical quote that comes on screen and then it's over and i was like that was weird
1: (laughs) yeah but i feel like that's going to be a lot of of dreams super weird stuff it's just like stuff that's very cerebral yeah and you're like oh okay (laughs) yeah no exactly
0: um my favorite thing oh i played two things that were pretty cool this one i played was called the off-roads land which took it was also another piece of playable art where you're piloting you're taking your imp and you're piloting a little jeep and you're driving through these levels almost in a journey like style uh the game journey is what i'm referring to here um and (laughs) not the band not the band (laughs) um and 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 not the act of going on, uh, on an adventure or whatever but it, it it was cool because like the environments kept changing into these really interesting and abstract things, so I really liked that. And then Marvelous was something that I had a lot of fun with too, which reminded me of a mashup between Sonic the Hedgehog and Marble Madness, because the interesting. Styling was very much like the Green Zone in Sonic, and the marble was this giant blue marble that looked like the Sonic blue. But it was so it's kind of like third person where you're moving this marble around, picking up these these icons or and then you these keys or were they coins? I don't quite remember. And then you have to open these treasure boxes around the world by collecting these coins. You get a certain amount to open the boxes. It was it was cute. It was interesting. But after that, I was like, you know, it's very clear to me that, you know, this is meant for creators. So I went over to MySpace. So they are clearly adding things all the time, and it's still a little barren because they just launched, but there's an extensive tutorial system showing you how to work the toolbox and how to put things into your space where other people can come and see your dreams. And by the way, it's worth noting, a lot of the questions people had about copyright and things like that, there is a long disclaimer that you have to agree to before you get to put things out. And then, of course, there's extensive social um, privacy things that you can put in place. So you can opt in to have your dreams featured or not featured. You can opt in to have your gamer tag, um, or your PSN ID, excuse me, featured across dreams. Like if you make something or if you play something, you know, if they want to feature it. So there's a lot of opportunity for people who are really interested in creating and making things to use this as a platform. But right now, it's not really a playable game in any way, shape, or form. If that makes sense, yeah, it does. So I think
1: it's an interesting, like, baby's first game jam sort of a thing. Like, it could be an int- it has a lot of interesting applications, and especially like could be in schools for people to help, you know, like, when for younger kids to let out their creativity or whatever. I do think it's interesting, though. Like, it's just, it's a weird thing to call a game and it's a weird thing to market because it really is as you've said mostly a platform and how do you sell that massively to a consumer audience versus a yeah dev audience
0: i i don't
1: know and like this is the thing that i'm
0: finding You know, none of my fears have have been calmed about this because this is the thing I've been saying time and time again, that I think this platform is so impressive and innovative and what they're doing is really wondrous and magical in so many ways. But how do they recoup the investment that PlayStation and Media Molecule has put into this platform? That remains to be seen for sure. I did see a bunch of clones while I was perusing the UGC stuff. I saw a Super Mario Brothers level 1-1 from the original Mario clone. But, of course, it's not as good because it's not Nintendo. It's somebody recreating it. But I like I like the homage that somebody made. But at the same time, I'm like, but why?
1: Is it just to see I if mean, you can do yeah, to, I mean, maybe, yeah, to test. Yeah, to just maybe. see how everything works. Because, like, it's easy to... It's easier if you're getting started to to copy something else and be like, okay, I'm going to see if I can make this and figure out how to do this to just figure out how the tools work. Sure. Um, So I can definitely see that. But then that kind of, if you agreed to like not copyright, like to not use copyrighted materials, then, then you're using Super Mario. Yeah, I
0: feel like it's going to become a, a, a bigger and bigger problem for them as they go through. Clearly, they went through some of these issues with – Little Big Planet, but it's not going to be to the extent, I think, that they're going to experience with Dreams. And, of course, the PT um, rebuild that people had talked about um, when it was still – before it went to early access, that that was in there. There's a bunch of cool stuff. So if you want to just go tinker, if you're a tinkerer, this game is definitely up your alley. As I mentioned, this is still very early access. So lots to keep an eye on on the horizon for Dreams from Media Molecule. Um, all right. Before we jump into the division, I want to let you guys know that I got a couple pieces of hardware here that I want to show off. So, first things first, if you don't follow me on Twitter, you might have missed me show my switch. How'd you fix. get your
1: name on that?
0: So, the kind folks over at Switch Fix um, gave me this after I heard that they made them for. The folks at kind of funny and then they made one for jared and jared no longer works at kind of funny and i was like why didn't they make one for me i feel super left out they heard me say i felt left out so they sent a prototype over to me so this is the switch fix um i didn't bring my switch out like a dum-dum oh wait there's a switch right here hold on
1: i mean so if you are just listening Aha! and not watching i have a switch uh, here it's in the basically studio a cradle that you would take the screen out and put the screen in one cradle and then there's like a hook on the bottom there you for can for the pro, put controller. A pro controller.
0: Right. So, so the key is yeah, exactly. So you take the Joy-Cons off of your switch. So you just have the screen, the body of the switch, and then it slides into this bar on the top of the switch fix. Whoa, don't break the switch. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, this is very sturdy, by the way. Uh, but also, this is still just a prototype. The final materials will be will be different. Um, and then you can see here that it essentially just works like a like a stand for that you could just put this down on the table and it's it's just sitting there. So if you're traveling, if you're on a airplane, put it on the tray table, hold your controller, you're good to go. Or I don't think I have my pro controller out here. Um, I have the the CR40, so it doesn't. It's not designed to hold this controller, so I'm not going to put it in there. But um, essentially, you put your pro controller in the bottom because the idea is that you want to be able to have the screen closer to you while using your pro controller instead of using the little joy cons. So um, yeah. I just helpful say, for more precise games like Celeste if you are traveling with it. Oh my gosh, if I had had this when I played Celeste, it would have saved my life. But I played it with the joy cons and I
1: beat it. Oh my God. Um, Rip so, your thumbs.
0: <laughs> if you want to see some closer photos, um, get switchfix.com is where they're taking email signups. They are getting ready to launch their Indiegogo. And um, so I just want to say thank you to them for sending me this prototype. I'm going to do some tests with it. I've got lots of flights coming up in the next couple of weeks. So I will uh, give you guys an update, but I just wanted to show you because it was really...
1: It's yeah, really cool. no, it's really cute. And I, I like the idea of this because I, I normally just keep my Switch the way it is because I want it to be more portable. Um, But that's, it seems interesting. I will borrow yours and see how I like it.
0: You should. um, And then I also have the Astro Gaming C40 PlayStation and PC Pro Controller. So this is a really amazing piece of hardware. And I haven't quite finished um, doing my test run with it. But I'm sure you guys have seen lots of unboxings over the internet. Um, I'll post some some I think I posted a gif already of it. But for people who are listening, essentially, this is a, a one stop shop for people who want options with their controller and like i mentioned it works on pc and it works on ps4 xbox one has the elite controller and this is really astro's answer to the playstation 4 not having that as a as an option it's got the the touchpad in the middle which is of course you know one of the iconic features of the dualshock 4 it's got a bunch of switches here that you can move around to toggle how um shallow or how um, deep you want the triggers to go. It's got extra buttons on the back for if you want to use different finger movements for those. And of course, the configuration with the joysticks and the d-pad are modular. I'm not going to disassemble it here on camera while we're talking, but you can take the faceplate off with the screw system that they have, and then you can move them around. It's not as easy to just pop them off and and pop them on as some of the other pro controllers that we've seen over the years, particularly the Xbox One, but it's nice and sturdy. It's soft. I really love the styling of it. Um, from what I've played so far, it's got great battery life, which is a huge huge boon over the DualShock 4, which we talked about, you know, earlier on in the show. Um, My one complaint that I've had so far with it is that because of all of these amazing pieces of functionality in the buttons and the way you can customize it, my PlayStation has had some trouble recognizing some of the inputs. And so I have to go in and, and fiddle around with the software because they allow you to really fine tune the triggers. So I could push it down just a very specific amount. And because of that, because I didn't set it up properly in the software, I think the PlayStation's just not recognizing it. So instead of doing a full one hundred percent push, I could do like a ten percent push and it would still input recognize it, but I haven't set it up yet. But from what I played with it so far, it's very nice. My the only thing I wish was that it was just a tiny bit smaller because I have very I was supposed to say it it looks kind of large. It like- is. So it's bigger than the Xbox One controller. Slightly. Oh. So, and that's important to me as somebody with small, tiny hands. And you also have small, tiny hands. Yes, I do. Um, But the longer I played with it, you know, obviously the more comfortable I got. And it's a nice alternative for people who want to play on their PlayStation, but like the offset option on the controller that is obviously iconic with the Xbox One controller that you can't get on the DualShock. Um, But yeah. It's nice. So thank you to Astro for sending this over. Don't worry, I'll be doing some more testing, and I'll follow up with you guys on it. But the battery life is really the thing that I'm very excited about.
1: Yes, battery. Give it.
0: Alright, so, Steimer.
1: Mm-hmm. We
0: played The Division 2 together. It was we glorious.
1: did. It was nice, because you boosted me so many levels in a very short period of time, and I was like, oh, thank God. This is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> because, like, I hadn't, I was like, kind of dipped my toes in, and but I feel like you and I were, were not synced on times we were playing or I just hadn't texted you about it. And I was playing by myself and I was just like, I don't want to play this game this way. I don't want to play this game alone. That's not why I play games like this. I play them to party up and like have a good time. So you and then who did you bring in? I forgot already. Um, So we were playing with some of the agents of WGG. We were
0: playing with... Solid Snake Ocelot, who made the What's Good Guardian shirt, and Renjamin.
1: Yes, they were great. And so we had a a lovely time, and we just ran through a bunch of the content that I had, um, like all the story missions. And what I loved most is, like, it lets you cheese the whole way in the sense of, um, normally, if I was doing this alone or even with somebody, you'd have to, like, run through all the areas to get to the checkpoints, to get the things. Um, But since they all had them already... They just went to the checkpoint, or they went to the, like the the area on the map, and I could just teleport to them. So I didn't have to go through all the bullshit of like running around the world. And I was like, Ah, oh, yes, this is how I want to level in this game. I went from level <laughs> four or five to level shit. What am I, twelve or thirteen now? I don't remember exactly where we left. I think but you went around from there. six to fourteen. I think that was what it was. I think it was definitely five. I was little five, okay. five to fourteen. Um, so that was awesome. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> it's like, screw sitting here and leveling really slowly. No, thank you. Um, yeah, and doing be- that stuff
0: solo can be quite tedious, especially once you eclipse like level seven or eight. The Some of the missions become really challenging to do solo.
1: Yeah, I mean, as somebody who's, not that this is precisely an MMO, but as somebody who has grinded levels in an MMO a lot in her past, um, because I have uh, seven level 80 characters in Guild Wars 2. Like, it's just not a thing I feel like doing anymore. I don't want to do it. I've done this before. I want to get to the end game. That is where the meat and potatoes is usually. And so to me, a lot of the other stuff is just like, eh. I just, I want to just get through it and I want to uh, do exactly what we did. Like, and we <laughs> it, can keep doing perfection. it. Uh, it was wonderful.
0: I, I will say what I do love about what Massive did with this game and, you know, obviously a reminder that Ubisoft did provide all of us with codes for the game um, was that that grind from zero to 30 didn't feel tedious the first time I did it because I really thought that they provided so much more variety with the mission types this time around that I didn't notice myself feeling like I had to artificially grind. Like, oh, well, that level – that. Mission over there is like level 22, and I'm level 18, so obviously I can't go over there yet. So let me go do some control points, or let me go do some other open world activities and collect some shade tech points, what have you. I did like that it felt really evenly paced, but of course, the end game is so good in this game, and I'm really looking forward to what they're going to add. What I thought was really fantastic is when you hit. You know, that level 30 is they really open up the map in a new way and bringing Black Tusk in as a new faction in addition to the other three and revamping the missions in a different way. It's like they really did a lot of things right. That said, there's still a lot of bugs in this game. Man,
1: <laughs> I mean, there was just a
0: few T-poses we saw. <laughs> they The latest patch helped out with the T-poses quite a bit. But they still exist, but I mean, I'm still getting the same audio bugs, I'm still getting some progression bugs, um, definitely getting um, some pop-in and pop-out textures happening quite frequently, and they're going to continue to patch that, as we mentioned in the news section, you know, they're delaying the raid to try to get some of the balancing right, because now that I'm in the end game, I'm officially gear score, I think, 499. Yeah, that's what
1: I saw on all of you, and I was just like, Oh fuck!
0: Yeah. Well, I could be five hundred because I have all five hundred gear, but those, this there's a couple pieces of gear that I would prefer to use that aren't quite there. So now it's all about finding that perfect gear and then starting to use the recalibration system, which Fran, um, Fran Mirabella the third, that is, was trying to explain to me about how to use the recalibration station to get above level 500 and how to like min-max that. And I'm just like, oh man, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. (laughs) So that's, that's, yeah, that sounds like work. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. But it's been fun. I've been exploring some of the other skills that I haven't really used before and I've been exploring some of the other specializations, but I just keep coming back to the things that I know and I love. Which is, which means that, you know, that's some good game design there. And... Even though I'm a little bummed that they delayed the raid, I'm actually kind of glad because they was supposed to launch on the same day as Avengers Endgame, and I was like, no. You're
1: like, which do, do I go to the movie or do I stay in my house? Oh, I definitely go to the movie. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm a, I'm not seeing that day one. Oh, you're not? No, I don't want to deal with. I don't want to deal with that. I don't yeah. want to be around that many people.
0: Oh, dude, I'm so, I'm so hyped. There's like 20 of us from Kind of Funny going. I'm like really excited about it. Um, but this is not an Avengers Endgame discussion. We're talking about the Division 2. Um, But I do love that they're giving a carrot to players by doing daily and weekly missions and that they're rotating, you know, where the invasions are and now bringing in exotics. Some of the things I talked about with the clan was that I'd wish that, Because this is a looter shooter that they've made some of the exotics easier to obtain, I'm 90 hours into this game looking at my Uplay stats. That's a ton. That's a lot. And and at this point, the only game that I've played more this year is Destiny 2. And so for me, it's possible I may even play The Division more. No, no, it's not possible.
1: Um, But For just this calendar year, maybe.
0: Just this calendar year. Oh, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. And I just – I want something else to chase and something else to go after because now I have a couple guns that I like, but they don't really have a lot of personality. And this is the thing that we came back to, and uh, this is indicative of the franchise being set in the Tom Clancy universe and having it to be ground in reality through Tom Clancy's IP and narrative. And I understand that, but – But,
1: like, have a little fun. Good God.
0: Yeah, put a little flair on it, you know, sprinkle yeah. some glitter or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah, like give me a sparkle gun. But they're what bringing a the, gun that shoots glitter. They're
0: starting to bring that would be oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. Or at least a glitter effect that you can mod That's what I'm into Like the
1: bullets would appear as glitter. They'll just be like, poo, poo. and then maybe like your grenade is just poo. it's like. That would be so awesome. There are some cool
0: effects. I am holding out hope, though, because Ubisoft has shown with their other games and services that they've done really cool things with cosmetics later on in post-launch, so fingers crossed. Hopefully, yeah.
1: I think that they could. Come on, Tom Clancy. Give us something fun.
0: Yeah. Do me something good. Um, All right. To wrap up the show, both Steimer and I have been spending a lot of time playing Days Gone. Another game that was provided courtesy of PlayStation. However, we can reveal that we're playing, but we can't say anything about it yet. Uh, The embargo is going to lift next week. So on next week's episode, there will be some thoughts about it. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to get on that episode because I'm going to be at Games Beat Summit. Oh, no. We'll maybe figure something out or record a special segment or something. But we are playing... And we have thoughts. We just unfortunately cannot tell you about them yet. But they will be coming down the pipeline. And, of course, Mortal Kombat 11 is coming next week as well. It's going to be a good one. Um, but that's going to do it for the show for this week. Unless, Steimer, you have some final thoughts you would like to add about something else that you were playing.
1: I, 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 nothing.
0: No. Just Days Gone, which I can't talk about yet. Exactly. So... In order to make sure we don't spoil anything, we're going to say adieu. So thank you, everyone, to tuning in to the show. Thank you to all of our new patrons and, of course, our Patreon producers. We love you guys. Patreon.com slash What's Good Games. If you'd like to get involved, don't forget, April 27th will be our Patreon streams for the month of April. We've got some really fun postcards coming your way. And it's not too late to sign up if you get in in the next couple of days.
1: All right, I'm, everybody. But really good. Like, I just have to say... Yes. I put a lot of effort into this one. Uh, You may think it's a Britney joint because of the way the art looks. It is not. It is a Steimer art masterpiece.
0: They are so cute. Do we want to say what they are?
1: We I feel like we should. I honestly thought about just putting a picture on, like, so people, if they wanted it, like, would get in at the tier. I don't know if that's bad or good. I think it's good. Well, we can at least say
0: that, like, a lot of you have tweeted us over the months that What's Good Games has been a thing. About us being the Powerpuff Girls, and so Steimer just decided to make it happen. She drew us as the Powerpuff Girls. I did indeed. It's really cute. It's great. All right. That'll do it for the show. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody. We will see you next week. Bye.